Hello, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. And this is episode 25. Number 25. 25. So, Stephen, what have you been uh, working on? Uh, this this week? week has been kind of a hodgepodge. Uh, the MacroAmp PCB finally came in. Um, I kind of cut a deal with our manufacturing floor where I said, you guys put on all the surface mount stuff. I want to do all the through-hole just because, I don't know, through-hole soldering is kind of therapeutic for me. Uh, so, so I've got all the parts in the holes. Nothing soldered yet. Yeah, it's uh, all um, wire led, you know, bent over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to take it back to my shop, and I'm going to do a whole bunch of pictures, and that should all pop up on uh, on Twitter coming up here soon. So, Mac Ramp is in. Um, also, and, are you taking it to your shop just so you can use leaded solder? <laughs> that is the yeah. That is another thing. I love soldering with lead solder. Some it's of that so much easier. Sweet, sweet Kester sixty forty. You don't have to put flux on it, and you could just kind of anything will melt it. I love it. It's fun. So, um, got, also got the SSPS analog board in this week. So, kind of fun week for getting getting boards in. Um, so this is the this is the all the analog side that interfaces with the digital and does all that nice jazz. Uh, so now we're finally put it, mocking up a bit of the uh, Energon cube that we've talked about so many times, um, and we'll be uh, throwing something together here soon with it. The way it works with our power supplies, we really it's hard to test because we need so many inputs and at high voltage that really the best way to test it is to just kind of hook everything up and you know bring it up to voltage with a with a current limiter and a and a variac so we'll we'll be hitting that soon and see what smokes first yeah right I, I i did already test the high voltage rails by just not powering anything else just putting high voltage and nothing smoked and it wasn't pulling it pulled a little bit of juice but nothing nothing bad so that's good yeah um i guess i need to get the part numbers for the the dax that are on that board. Oh yeah, yeah. So I can write my start. my prop driver. Yeah, I'll I'll shoot that over to you. I can probably hammer that out in like two hours max. Yeah, it, there's nothing special. Yeah, yeah. It's what SPI, right? No, I think these are I squared C. Oh, I squared C. I, even, I think so. Even easier. Yeah, no, I I don't think I chose SPI. Um, so above and beyond that, I've actually been putting a significant amount of time into uh, some DFM work for a customer of ours. Um, DFM meaning design for manufacturing. So occasionally customers will ask us to review their board, um, and that that entails looking at every element on the board, checking every footprint, looking at every data sheet. So it's a lot of work, and it takes a lot of time. So I've been spending a good chunk of my time on that. It's the, it's the first time you've used Ultium as well. It is, yeah. So can this customer gives us the board, and they're like, hey, can you do DFM work? And we're like, what package? Altium. And I'm sitting here like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so I, I download the two-week free version. I'm like, okay, I've got to do this in two weeks. So I had to effectively learn Altium and then, and then check this guy's board. But the funny thing was, um, maybe it's just I have enough experience with other EDA tools. I was, I was flying in Altium within maybe 20 minutes it it's really it's generally intuitive uh i mean i i don't think i'd be fantastic at like designing a board from scratch in a short period of time but in terms of navigating and finding all the things i need in order to check his board it's easy that's cool yeah so do you like the the software package if i had 15k to drop on altium i would do it it's awesome it is it 
I don't know. I don't want to gush too much on it, but everything I, I'm using on it is like, this is so killer. The only thing that I'm really annoyed with right now and, and just from navigation is that I, I don't I can't find a, a really simple way to change layers. Uh, change whatever active layer I'm looking at, and I find that kind of annoying. I just dip trace all the number buttons are your layers. And so if I want to swap to another layer, I just press a button. Bam, I'm there. With Altium, you have to activate them. You have to hide them. You have to choose layer sets and all this crap. That's, it's like that in, in Eagle. Yeah, you so choose what layer maybe it it's just that I, I'm I'm complaining about something that I don't need to complain about. Have you tried the function keys? The function keys do something else. Okay, I can't remember so it's what. not switching layers? No. I, well, I... I'm sure there's an easier way, and there's probably one of our listeners who, who's just like, all you do is press this one button. You yeah. know? <laughs> Although, actually, the letter Q on the keyboard swaps between mils and millimeters. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. That could end up really badly, though. It could. It could, yeah. If you're not paying attention. Yeah, yeah. not paying attention. But but I think it's it's, it's awesome because a cu- some of the customer's uh, parts that he put down, some of them are in mils, which is odd that doesn't really happen i mean it, where they only show mills on the dimensional drawing so i was just like oh okay great q i'm already there so. no need for converting nope so what you've been up to the, the uh the macro watch which was the uh thing we gave away at last year's houston maker fair yep um i've been working on a rev 2 all right basically making it even you know uh making it more uh cheaper i guess Reducing the uh, bill of materials. It was already cheap. It was already cheap, but I'm making it even cheaper. Yeah. Um, so I've been uh, the old one uses a Pic 16. Yeah. Um, um, I switched over to uh, Silicon Labs EFM8 Sleepy B, mm-hmm. mainly because that is the cheapest microcontroller, pretty much you can buy. Yeah, it was something like sixty cents. Sixty in cents singles? in singles, and yeah. it gets down to like. 38 cents in quantity or something like that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's got a, What's built into this thing is ridiculous as well. It's got a built-in art, uh, real-time clock. It's mm-hmm. got built-in it's crazy timers. It's got like four or five different timers that are all like different. They're all configurable from like 8, 12, 16-bit. Um, it's got a built-in ADC. It's got a built-in... Um, uh, Oh, I can't remember what the last thing. Oh, uh, power mount management. Oh, okay. It actually can figure out how much power it is consuming by itself. Wow. Yeah, it's got a power manager module in it that you just have to enable. That's kind of crazy. Um, so it's a kitchen, it's sort of a kitchen sink. Yeah, it uses a AD fifty one core, which is kind of old school. It's a really <laughs> not, not kind of old school. <laughs> it is old it's school. way old school. Um, but it works great. The I mean, it, the thing only pulls how I have it configured. Um, it only pulls 2.9 mac, uh, uh, microamps. Yeah, uh, that's nothing. It's nothing. The old uh, Macro Watch pulled 15.8 microamps. Yeah, which is still not a lot, but we have a you know a uh, eight times saving on power. Yeah. So I think the old Macro Watch was like eight. Uh, it was about a year worth of battery life, mm-hmm. and this gives you eight years of battery life. <laughs> Depending on how often you check. Yeah, how often you check it, because when you do turn it on, the LEDs, that draws... Up to 100 milliamps, right? Yeah, up to 100 milliamps, <laughs> which is quite a bit. That's a, yeah, that's a ton. But for only a short period of time. 
Yeah, well, about five seconds. Yeah, and I remember I was watching a, a YouTube video a few months back uh, talking about this chip, and they, they, they chose the 8051 core. They didn't have to go that route, but their lead designer chose that because there was so much support out there, and there was already tons and tons of code already written for it. So it's kind of just like a hodgepodge in a way. Yes. Uh, but it's but it's all been like tried and true and, and, and proven. Yeah. The what I really like about their chips is you can pretty much connect any of the peripherals that are inside the chip to any I.O. pin. They have thing this thing called the uh, cross link. Mm-hmm. I think is what they call it. And you just connect what you want to what pins and then hit go. And it does So it. it's sort of like a stripped down prop that has peripherals internal. Yeah, uh, it's it's a lot like a uh, Cypress's P-Rock system. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like this, too. Um, but the P-Rocks cost quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so far, I've been pretty happy. It, it was some weirdness with their... They, they have a, a IDE called Simplicity Studio. Studio, yeah. Or something like that. And it's, it's based off Eclipse, so it's like... It's a fairly standard IDE, except it's got some weirdness. It kind of, it kind of looks like MP Lab in a, a little bit. I think MP Lab is built on Eclipse as well. Yeah, it, yeah so everything's sense. pretty much. So the you same there. you were having uh, you were having some a little bit of trouble with it, right? Yeah. So the documentation for this stuff is not the best, at least so far. First of all, it took me a long time to find the actual data sheet for this chip. You keep finding, like, the family stuff and all that stuff. And like, no, I don't want that stuff. I want what registers do I need to hit to make this stuff tick. Right. Nitty-gritty. Yeah, the nitty-gritty stuff. So I finally found that, and that fixed some of the issues. But then I came across the issue why I couldn't drive the I.O. pins. Like, I was trying to just basically blink an LED at this point. Why couldn't I blink this LED? Um, And then I looked at their code for Blinky. They have a Blinky code, and it worked. And so I copied the code directly into my project, and it didn't work. <laughs> and I'm looking, and it has a really good debugger. Right. And so I'm like, it's running the code, and the variables are correct, and it's hitting the output register. But the pin's not going high. But the pin is not, it's not even going high, or it's not even going low. It's at 1.5 volts, so which is half my rail. It's, it's high Z? Well, high Z would just be, it, it, high Z would be zero still. Yeah, because the moment you put a load on it, any you right, residual it would charge it would drag down, and so I'm like, why is it 1.5 volts? And so I'm just digging through, and eventually I compared the hardware config file, and I found that I had one bit different. I had not enabled the crosslink, and so none of my pins were actually connected to the core. So the core was doing everything it, it's supposed to do. Yes. Yeah. Well, so what's interesting is when the core when the crosslink's not connected. You have 1.5 volts, which is probably a residual voltage from probably the ESD protection. Yeah. So I'm going to say that's probably that's what that is. <laughs> so so it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, on, a, on a typical day at, at Macrofab, Parker and I, we're goofing <laughs> around. We're, we're swinging between each other's desks. Hey, check this out. You know, blah, blah, blah. We've been labeled as um, loud before. Uh, and... and it's funny because this week has been very different because both of us have had our own individual projects that really don't involve the other one. And we just, it's been kind of uh, silent, but 
the other day when Parker was was working on this, all I heard was through the silence was just grumbling, just like <laughs> all the like all of these little issues just piling up and making Parker angry. And then I finished. I got I got it all working at like five thirty. Yeah, and I'm like, I have thirty minutes left. I am done for the day. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because it, it, it your day wasn't uh, wasn't about writing code. Your day was just finding that one bit that was not set, and it screwed everything over. Yep. And then this morning, I, I basically ported my old pick code over, and it was almost drag-drop. It was um, pretty simple. Yeah, I, I actually copy-pasted, and then, because my old one was just a state machine. Yeah. And so I just copied my state machine over, and all I had to do was just change how the state machine interacted with the... Um, yeah, what plugs in and out. Yeah. Because on the pick... I was running in a straight loop all the time. Right. The pick was never actually going to sleep. It couldn't because it, it had something about not recovering, right? Yeah, so when the pick 16 I was using went to sleep, it turned off the timers. Right, that's it. The timers were used to keep the time in the watch. Mm -hmm. So you can't actually go to sleep that way. Um. Well, the sleepy bee doesn't have that problem. Well, sleep, yeah, sleepy bee doesn't because you can make the timers run independent of the core, and the real time clock runs regardless. And so, and actually, what the cool thing about it is the real time clock has a direct hardware interrupt into the eighty fifty one core, and so you can actually wake up based off the RTC clock. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So doing real time interrupts. You can do real real-time interrupts. <laughs> that, that, should, that should be on the, you know, the front of the data sheet, the features. Real, real-time interrupts. RTC interrupts. So that's pretty cool. Um, I guess you could do that with an external RTC that had a trigger and then pipe that into a, a pin-edge hardware interrupt. But, you know, whatever. That would add to the bill material cost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Another really cool thing with the RTC, so you have to you can actually use an internal oscillator for it, but it's not that accurate. But the cool thing is you can add an external, but you can do the loading caps built into the chip. Oh yeah, you were showing me that. So you don't even have to put your loading caps on there. Correct. You just get a drop down of like I think it's about like 18 of the most popular loading caps, and bam, done. That was pretty loud. <laughs> I don't know if uh, Josh will be able to do anything with that one. <laughs> so 18 loading caps, 18 of the most popular loading caps. Yes. Right. Um, so you get like two picofarads up to like 20 picofarads. Yeah. That you can just select, which is pretty cool. Well, and it, and it has an auto scan mode too, right? Yeah. Well, it actually will step up through. And find where the gain is the best. Yeah, the optimal cap. That is awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny because they have that feature, which, I mean, it, it's not really a problem to put on loading caps, and you don't really save a whole lot. So I, I wonder why they chose that feature. I think it's because it was probably pretty easy because they already have that crosslink. So it's probably built into the crosslink function. Ah, uh, you're right. So, they probably just turn it on using the crosslink. Yeah. And putting caps actually on die. Um, well, how small value those caps are in the picofarad range is actually pretty easy. It's metal, dielectric, metal. <laughs> right, right. So it's kind of easy. And then they just put they just put a switching transistor that turns on whichever cap is necessary. Probably. Awesome. But yeah. Sounds like a pretty cool little chip. 
I like that chip a lot. I'm gonna probably, I'll probably do a uh, article on our on our blog about starting to use these chips. Like, what do you need? How do you set it up? All that good stuff. Almost sounds like we should uh, we should knock out a dev board for it. Yeah, they have a really good dev board already, though. Oh, do they? Yeah, they're. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, we have one of them. We have a couple of them, and they're yeah. like. 30 this is turning into an advertisement for yeah it totally is but um they have like these crazy dev boards that have like a screen a joystick rgb lights and they come pre-installed with space invaders yeah they have space invaders built in that you can control with the joystick and they're like 30 bucks yeah it's way more than 30 bucks on that board yeah i'm like looking at the screen alone is is like 12 15 bucks yeah so but i i i was thinking more of a um oh like a simplified it's one more like your prop dev stick yeah, it's just a... It just drops a breakout, on, basically. Yeah, and it drops onto a breadboard. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's a good idea. Doesn't seem like it would take that long. No. Yeah, so let's go into the RFO section. Sounds great. Um, I saw today that um, KeyCAD is adding Spice Simulation built in to their schematic software. Um, so I think this is a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, that way, it just limits. Basically, you're going to be removing an entire package from your process, basically. So instead of having to draw your schematic once in, in you know, multi-sim or spice, mm-hmm. you draw it once in KiCad, then you can simulate it right there. I and think then, that's super and cool. And then go straight over to the PCB layout. You know, I haven't spent a lot of time with KiCad, and they keep adding stuff that makes me say, you know, I just need to spend some time with it because it keeps getting cooler. Yep. Uh, and and people are starting to jump onto it, especially with the, the whole free aspect, you know? Yeah, so I think... Uh, um, I actually talked to one of the devs today, and they said it's probably going to roll into the uh, 5.0 release. Okay. Um, I don't know if you can get it. I know it's not in the latest stables. Mm-hmm. It might be in the, in the nightlies that you can, you know, compile yourself if you're, you know, a masochist. Um, I I don't want to know what kind of dependencies you have to install to get that thing to compile it's got to be insane (laughs) but yeah um, I think it'd be cool probably uh, wait till 5.0 comes out before I try and keycad then I still am looking for I don't even know if it exists but I'm still looking for a PCB level simulator Um, what kind of PCB simulator Think of simulation. You have circuit simulation, but it takes into account your PCB. So all the capacitance, all the inductance of your traces, oh, the resistance of your traces, yeah. uh, everything that's involved with that. And I know that's like, obviously that's I ridiculous, you, but... I bet you Cadence can do that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But it's, <laughs> but it's like a $20,000 upgrade package. That and you have to use Cadence. Yeah, I use okay. So I used Cadence for four years, and um, those might have been the worst four years of my life. <laughs> I yeah, I hate Cadence. It was so bad. Now we used Cadence in uh, in college for designing um, uh, chip level, like the actual transistors and stuff. No, for that it's good. Uh, so we had to use a um, our, our department only had like ten seats. Yeah. And there were server seats. And so you had to log in and actually tunnel over X11. Mm. So you were... The the lag in a design... Usually you don't think of like lag on a mouse. No. The fact that you, you would move the mouse, click, and it would take about five seconds for that 
move to happen and then the click and then whatever action happened. So it just took everything just took like 10 to 15 times longer because it was just wait. clunky. Just clunky. Yeah. It was, it was because we were having to tunnel over a really crappy connection. That sounds terrible. But even if you use it in the lab, and of it course you know, good. and of course the, the the electrical engineering department is the one that has that problem. Yes, of course. Now I guarantee you, the business school did not have that problem. Well, I don't think the business school has any like expensive software packages like that. <laughs> unless, unless they have one called um, um, Stark Stock Market Simulator. <laughs> That's probably a game you can get on Steam. Uh, you know, I bet you. And it's it's one of those 99-cent games that you can get. <laughs> no, it'd be really awesome in the simulator. You're actually playing someone that's on the stock floor. And so you have to wave tickets and stuff like that. How funny would it be if they just had the game where it was Stock Market Simulator, where it wasn't a simulator, it was just the stock market. Oh, it actually pulled in real and data? And it just pulled real data. And, and kids were like, oh, man, this is awesome. And enter your credit card. <laughs> <laughs> And their parents are like, oh, shit, <laughs> 20K purchase. That'd be an awesome game. You bought you bought 20,000 stocks in Toys R Us, son? Toys R I think 8-track eight eight tapes are coming back. I'm investing. 8-track <laughs> <Eight> tapes. <laughs> ah, the big news of this week, Arm purchasing, uh, Arm was purchased by SoftBank. Uh, for $32 billion. Uh, so there's been a lot of speculation and a lot of talk about what this means for ARM. Because yeah. ARM is fabulous. Right. They just own the IP for all the ARM microcontrollers. Mm-hmm. Um, and SoftBank is a telecommunications company in Japan who doesn't own any hardware. But they, they're fairly diversified. Yes. Uh, they, they make really strategic moves uh, if you look at what they've been doing in the past. So they have something up their sleeve with this. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's why did they buy ARM? It's probably their telecommunications company, and so they look at ARM as, oh, vertically integrating kind of thing. Sure. Um, at least what I think of. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would that would make sense, and and I actually heard um, or not heard, I saw a, an editorial piece. Um, can't remember the website. I think it was Electronic News Weekly or something like that, where they were talking about um, the telecom um, uh, industry is really kind of being yanked by IoT devices because uh, that'll all end up integrating and working together. So potentially, SoftBank is doing something. Uh, a strategic move towards where they own the, the actual IP. chips, the IP they in own, IoT devices. Yeah, they own the IP that runs IoT. Right. Ah, uh, sneaky. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was just interesting, some of the uh, things that people have been saying. Like, uh, SoftBank says that um, that the uh, that it was not intentional because, you know, Brexit happened, what, two weeks ago now? Longer than that, I think. So long enough. Oh, it doesn't really matter. We're from yeah. America. Um, <laughs> uh, so they were like, "Oh, is it because of Brexit? Because Arm is in Cambridge, yeah, in the UK, and with the pound being so devalued to, towards the uh, the yen, you know, what, what was that? But apparently, this was in the move bef- way before that. I mean, you got to think is a thirty-two billion dollar deal is not something you do in a week." <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no, no. They they have been they've had their eyes on this for a long time. Yeah. So, um, it just probably made the deal sweeter. Sure. For them. It may have accelerated things. Yeah, probably. Um, but the the founder of Arm, um, I think his name is Herman Hosser. He says this is a a. It's kind of interesting. He's the founder, and he's or founder of the Arm Holdings, which I guess is like what they call the the top level of Arm. Mm-hmm. Um, he told the the BBC that he thinks is a bad move. And a bad day for UK um, technology, the technology segment, because they, you know, they're not owned in the UK anymore. They're owned in Japan. Sure. Um, which is, would be true if, let's say, SoftBank said, "Yep, y'all all have to move over to Japan." But SoftBank says they're going to increase, you know, uh, fivefold over the next couple of years in the UK. But it could be, you know, one of those SoftBank says they do that and then they. Don't do that, and they just start chipping everything. Just tank everything. Yeah, just tank it. Because Arms got three, three divisions all over the world. So really, yeah, I think one's in the UK, one's in Italy, and one somewhere else. I wouldn't know. I'm just curious to see if they're going to allow Arm to continue with the 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 progress they've been making, or if SoftBank is going to try to steer them. Heavily towards telecom. Basically, is ARM going to become a IP manufacturer? Broadcom. Yeah. The guy that's what Broadcom pretty much makes telecommunication chips. Right. So is now, is, yeah, is SoftBank buying ARM so they can compete with Broadcom? Eh, possible. You know. But yeah, um, I guess I'm kind of indifferent on this as long as... As long as the ARM IP stays how it is, yeah. where anyone can license it, because I could see where um, SoftBank starts locking down li- the licenses harder, where it's harder for, like, let's say, TI, who sells their chips to a different telecommunications company like AT&T. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, oh, you can only use these chips if you're using them for our telecommunication product products gotcha i can see that happening yeah but the moment that happens someone one of these other architectures that's like you know just you know sitting out there in some research lab will just kick up and you know dominate the market like arm did right right oh something new to come i mean arm overtook what uh 8051 and uh 68k and yeah all those other guys so And arms in everything now. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that another architecture can just come in and sweep the floor, basically. Yeah, yeah. If 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 SoftBank locks it down so hard. Um, speaking of acquisitions, we talked about this before. Mm-hmm. It was the microchip AVR Atmel thing. Yep. Um, you found this article. Yeah, and I'm actually pretty excited about it. Um, it. So apparently an article came out um, where Microchip, it's funny to say this, Microchip has come out. Micromel. Yeah, Micromel. <laughs> Microchip has come out saying that AVR is not only are they not like hacking and slashing all of their product availability, they're increasing it. Uh, so this summer there's a handful of new offerings that are not Microchip, 
or pick, I should say, offerings. They are AVR offerings. So I'm ho- I'm and, kind of. Uh, and- they're AVR 8 offerings. Right, 8-bit microcontrollers. Yes. So it's not like they're adding just another 32-bit. Um, or another know. ARM. Yeah, or another ARM. It's it's another 8-bit. Um, so it's, I'm, I'm really excited about this because we might start to see the meld of both worlds getting better. Uh, the fin- Finally, like, the AVR pick, you know, coming where, yeah, great. Take the best of both worlds and smash them into one eight-bit architecture. So. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, um, this just reminds me what microchip tends to do: is okay. We made this really awesome chip. Now let's make three hundred SKUs for it. Oh yeah! <laughs> uh, if you go to the, the, if you're new to electronics and you're like, I need to pick a microcontroller, you you go you go to pick and you're like, they might have something like ten or thing or so options to choose from. No, there's like three thousand things yes. to choose from. It's like, how do you pick the right one? Yeah, they for have your... a telephone book of microcontroller uh part numbers yeah yeah it's it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous and in fact whenever i first started working with picks i just i literally just picked one at random because it had 20 pins and i was like that's good and i learned that one and and then just started making projects on that one i think it was a 16f690 was was the one and it, and it was just like fine it works yeah, yeah. yeah. um Actually, the thing about this is what microcontroller company has the least amount of SKUs? Silicon Labs, right? Well, Silicon Labs still has... No, they have have the C8051, which came before the EFM8, and there's a ton of those. There's probably at least 50 of those. Parallax might be the smallest. They have three? Basic Stamp, Prop, Javelin, which doesn't exist anymore. Are you are you are it. you considering ones that don't exist anymore? No. So then, so, Javel, so it's two, and I don't want to know if they make the basic stamp anymore either. So they might be down to one. Arduino doesn't count, do they? No. Well, have you seen how many different Arduinos there are out there now? Actually, you're right. Yeah. And they all use different Atmel chips. Yeah, you're right. So that 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 doesn't necessarily work. Yeah, it 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 might be, it might be pro, uh, uh, parallax, with one. Or two? <laughs> Technically two, right? Because the basic stamp's still available. Yeah, it's still available. It's actually one of the biggest products last time I checked. Yeah. It just Education just eats those things up. Yeah, because they're easy. Um, well, they're basic. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I, I, I staved off of making an arm and a leg joke. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> This might have to be the end. Yeah, I think it's going to wrap up this week. Yeah, I think that's that. I think that's going to be it. The puns are coming out now. Yeah, the so. puns are coming. Well, uh, this was episode number twenty-five, uh, Macrofab Engineering Podcast episode number twenty-five. We were your host, uh, Stephen Craig and Parker Dolman. Uh, take it easy, guys. Later, guys. Don't lose an arm and leg. Oh, jeez. <laughs>